truth, love, and social media, today on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. Okay, I see shared videos every day of one-year-old Johnny falling asleep with his face in his birthday cake. If you can share that video, surely you can share The Grid with your friends and neighbors. Post it on Facebook, like it on YouTube, share it on Twitter, email it, text it, help us grow our audience. And for goodness sake, hit that like button and give us a five-star rating when you do listen. Thank you for joining the fight for faith and freedom. I'm Sean Griffin, co-host of The Grid with Chris Kuhlman, and this is supposed to be the news and review segment. This week, Chris is out of pocket with the family moving. We all know what a big event that is in the life of any family. Regretfully, he was unable to record the news and review segment for this episode. Chris will be back next week, however, with a fresh set of headlines and his insightful review and commentary. For this week's non-existent news and review, that's a wrap. Well, welcome, fellow patriots. Today, Clay Carroll joins me as we co-host this podcast together. Clay, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you, Chris. I am so excited about today. I'm so excited about our guest today. He is an incredible, incredible man of God. Yes, we do have a special guest today. Uh, his name is Phil, and I could talk about Phil the entrepreneur, Phil the man of faith, and Phil's involvement in social media. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let Phil tell his story. Phil, welcome to The Grid. Thank you, Chris and Clay. I appreciate you having me on. I'm very flattered. Well, as Chris said, my name is Phil. I come from a engineering background. I went to Purdue University uh, and got an engineering degree, and then I went into the oil field and was an engineer in, in the oil field for about 15 years, drilling wells all around Texas and Pennsylvania. But today, I am running a small gutter company that was started with two brothers in Christ. And we're trying to make a go of all the growth in Houston as far as the mass movement of people here. But as far as, as me, in 2016, Father God actually kicked me out of my comfort zone, which was my engineering job. And then... A couple months later, in April of 2016, my wife kicked me out of the house and into the gym with her. I went from being a lazy, angry, overweight man to losing 80 pounds and getting my heart right with God. And he really changed my life from there. It was a very humbling experience. And, you know, I've had bouts of unemployment between then and now, but he has been good through it all. He has provided through it all. And we've been through many ups and downs, and he has restored my family and my marriage from the previous path of destruction I sowed when I was still in my carnal mind. Man, Phil, that is fantastic to hear. And you said something that really just jumped out at me, is that God kicked you out of your comfort zone. One thing that the Lord has really been taking my wife and I through this season is that it seems 
that the Lord is way less concerned with our comfort and way more concerned with our dependence. And it sounds like you walked a little bit of that path as well. Absolutely. If he feeds the birds of the field or the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, then he is going to provide for you. And a lot of our battle in becoming not just a Christian, but in becoming his man, woman, whatever, is battling your flesh, battling your ability to trust, battling your need for control. I I call them the great humblings. Mm. I've made a lot of money in my life and I've made a little money and now I'm making middling money. And in it all, I know I can be content. When you have that peace that passes understanding that only God can provide, that only Holy Spirit upon you and in you and through you can provide, it will affect those around you. My wife would like me to be making a lot more money, but I've said, I've asked her, what does God want? And uh, that has sent her to back to the word. And I, I'm appreciative that, that God is doing that. She, she suffered through a lot with me and, you know, for her to be turning back to the word is a real blessing to my, to my heart. Absolutely. Well, Phil, before we jump into today's topic, you're also, despite being engineer and owning your own small business, you also are pretty active in social media, particularly what many view as more of the sort of the bastion of free speech, which is Gab. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, thanks. Thanks for that, Chris. I kind of left that off. Um, yeah, I'm the administrator of the Christianity group on there. It's got about 228,000 members now. That's nowhere near the number of active members. It is one of the larger groups on Gab. Uh, really, God set that up in a crazy way. It was one of the first groups ever on Gab. The founder of that group kind of abdicated his position and his account. As far as I can tell, in November ish of 2020. And at about that time, things were starting to get bad with the other social media companies for people that have a Christian outlook, that have a conservative outlook, that believed in the message that Trump was bringing to our nation and the uh, changes he was bringing to our nation. And so I reached out to Gab, the administration, and said, Hey, this. This important group at that time, it was like 40,000 people. This important group is, is left rudderless and, and nobody is administrating it. It's, it's a free for all in here. And the original founder seems to have disappeared. I believe his name was Micaiah or his handle was Micaiah. And so over the course of a couple months, I worked with them and, and they transferred the administration to me. The administration fell to me at about the exact time that Twitter purged Trump and a whole bunch of patriots. For those people who don't know, what what is Gab? I know it's like a it's another social media. Can you just tell us what it is? Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, Gab is a free speech platform, and with free speech, it comes with all the issues that we know can come with free speech. There are raging racists on there. There people that hate every stripe, color, creed of person, and they're not afraid to say it. And so it's a true melting pot. It's, it's a true free speech platform. 
you can say what you want, but then other people can counter that too. Absolutely. So the founder of Gab is a Christian man named Andrew Torba. And he is a, a good man as far as I can tell. And he wants to have a Christian platform that supports free speech. So Gab may have the free speech, the ugliness of the free speech, but it also has the beauty of the free speech. But what it doesn't have is pornography, threats of violence, doxing or revealing other people's anonymity is prohibited and, and you can get removed for that. Anything that is legal speech is allowed on Gab. I appreciate that clarification uh, in understanding exactly what Gab is, because not everybody's heard about it because you can't get it at the App Store. Uh, I believe that Gab is not supported by Apple or Google. Is that correct? That is absolutely right. The Gab has been deplatformed in every which way possible, including the family of Andrew Torba, including extended family being debanked. Visa and MasterCard and all the other credit card companies will not work with him. He's had to go through many different banks. And currently, I don't know what he's doing for that. That's the ultimate in cancel culture. Yeah. So basically what you have to do is you just go to like gab.com and then they have their own servers and their own parallel economy. They even have Gab Pay, which is like PayPal. They have their own pay thing which is really awesome. I tell you, I do enjoy getting on Gab because you find out a lot of things that just isn't in the main me you know, mainstream media. And you, you get some of the firsthand stuff, but you have to filter through everything. It's a good platform. I really enjoy, enjoy it myself. So Yes, they also, they also have a Zoom alternative and they also have a YouTube alternative called Gab TV and Gab Voice. Oh. I have those flipped, by the way, from from my statement, but they're doing streaming on that Gab Voice and Gab TV. They're trying to build that and they're going to, they have a Gab marketplace and they're working to integrate all of that to create this parallel economy. Gab is kind of the fount of what is called Christian nationalism movement in the country. We're uh, very familiar with Christian nationalism. We did a, a podcast series on this very topic. Ah, very good. Very good. And I like to add that you were talking about parallel economy. Actually, I have a business that I actually promote on Gab. I'm promoting it more and more, but I'm finding that most of my sales are actually coming from Gab. So that's really exciting for me. That's fantastic. Um, I did want to add one more thing. A lot of people get turned off by free speech. And I just want to say there's blocking functions, muting functions in the application itself. But I also want to encourage people to not run away when you encounter free speech. The beauty of free speech is it exposes the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it is better to know where someone stands so that you can actually understand that person. When they withhold who they are, you don't actually know who that person is, right? And so it, it can get ugly, but there's a lot of, a lot of searching, a lot of seeking God, seeking after God, seeking after the kingdom that happens in the midst of that. And it's pretty crazy to watch some of the, the dichotomy of people's, what comes out of their posts and also what comes out of their heart on the posts. Thank you for adding that. So folks, this is why 
we should listen to Phil today because he has exposure. He has access to a community that is much larger than the majority of us. He gets to see some of the conversation, some of the concerns, some of the, the failures and some of the successes that are occurring, not just in the world, but even in the world of faith. So when we return, I think we want to dive into that a little bit in what, in what you're seeing, Phil. One decision, one voice, one vote. It only takes one person like you to make a difference. Go to kingdompatriot.us to join today. Your membership helps us continue to do this podcast and make our voices heard as we fight for faith and freedom. Join today at kingdompatriot.us. Okay, we're back. Um, Phil, you may not be aware, but last week we did a podcast on hypocrisy. It was something that was really near and dear to Sean's heart. And we just spent quite a bit of time talking about how hypocrisy, living a life that's hypocritical, becomes a barrier to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It becomes a barrier for the life-changing power of the gospel. But a lot of that podcast was focused on this is, this is the damage it can do. And this is the challenge that it creates. Therefore, we should avoid it. But this week, we're switching gears a little bit. And you're a huge part of this conversation is, well, if we don't do that, if, if we avoid the hypocritical life, that's, that's one of those don't do's. But what should we be doing? How do we behave in such a way? How do we live in such a way as a Christ follower within this fallen world? So I've got a couple questions to ask you, Phil, if you're ready to roll. Yeah, let's let's do this, Chris. So the first question, I actually get this with my wife quite a I wouldn't say get it from my wife, but I, I hear I've heard it from her and several other people. With all just the rampant sin that we do, that we see around us, do you think that the world we're in today is more fallen than it was two thousand years ago? I I would not say that at all. The world has always been, I would say, equally fallen. You look at the times of Noah. Noah and his family were the last people on earth that had any semblance of righteousness in them. So as far as living in tyranny and suffering and slavery, that has been the norm of 95% of human history, if not more. And we are in a time of great freedom. And as I said about freedom of speech, freedom of action also exposes the heart. So we're, we're in a time of, I think, greater exposure to the evil because our communication methods have become much better. But everybody nowadays is talking about Moloch worship among the elites, right? But Moloch worship was in Canaan when the Israelites were there. That's amazing, Phil, that you would say that because 10 minutes before we got on to have this podcast together today, I was listening to a video talking about that very thing. And I actually have a theory. I'm not sure if that theory is supported by fact, but I actually agree with you. I should say that right up front. I agree with you that I don't think lawlessness is any different today than it was 2,000 years ago. And the reason I don't think that is because man's heart has the sinful nature, which all humanity does. It is bent towards evil. It just is. It's bent towards evil. It's bent towards rebellion. The difference, I think, today, Clay, I'd like to get your comment on this. I think the difference today is that technology and social media and these platforms make it easier for lawlessness to be openly celebrated. It doesn't mean it hasn't always been there, but it's more easily accessible. It's, more, it's easier to be seen. 
So I think just kind of vastly looking at history, there's been the last several hundred years in America and even in to some degree in Europe, what we call the Western countries, there's been a great move, you know, it was a Christian move, right? So that brought forth in a lot of ways, a lot of good things, right? A lot of godly principles and things that we strive to be as a nation and that why we created Kingdom Patriot Group, right? But what's happened is, becomes obvious, is that we have been living in a dream, right? And it's been a good dream <laughs> because we've had basically this perfect dream. And I don't know about if y'all have ever watched Lord of the Rings, but the first movie, The Hobbits, they're just living in this perfect little world. And they don't know anything else that's going on. And everything else is just falling apart, you know? And and it's dark and people are, are fighting and, and cruel. And and that's really what's been going on around the world. But in America especially, we've been in a dream for the last hundred plus years, and now we're just starting to wake up and really realize that you know what? The gods, the little gods that they talk about in the Old Testament were really demonic and demons. Well, they don't go away. They're spirit. So they're still around here. And now they're starting to, as you see and talk about social media, now I think what's happening is there's an element of the Christian community and of patriots, the truly Christian church, and then also other patriotic people are starting to wake up to the fact that there's these deep, dark things controlling and trying to push our world into this certain way. And that's what we're starting to realize. And then that brings us back to our conversation of, well, what do we do as a Christian, a follower of God? How do we walk in this faithless generation? The first thing, one thing we have to do is I believe, you know, wake up, warriors awaken, warriors realize what we are confronting and coming against. That's the first thing. And I think a big chunk of people aren't even aware of that. They're still living in the dream state of what football game am I going to watch? What shoes am I going to get? What cool movie am I going to go to next? And all along, while we're doing our just little thing we want to do, the dark forces are taking ground. You know, Clay, I think that's a really important point. Uh, it was, it's over 20 years ago now that I went up to Seattle, Washington for uh, a pastor's conference in which I was just a lay attendee. The past, one of the pastors of our church asked if I wanted to go. And the theme of that conference was the Christian ghetto. And what they were describing was we sort of build our world with Christian schools and Christian music and churches. And we do all this, and then we erect our little walls. And then every now and then we lob the gospel over the wall to the rest of the world and then wonder why it doesn't stick. Outside the walls are the kingdom of darkness, and they are advancing. And I think what's different now is the advancement of Satan's kingdom, of his agenda, has now advanced to such a degree that it is up against the wall now. And the problem is Christians have been living a little bit of their own dream world uh, at least at least some of us and not realizing the lawlessness that not recognizing the faithlessness that exists in our society. So I think that's a good segue. Uh, Phil, before we get into what you actually are seeing with your access to Gab and these groups, what do you think the ideal state is? What should the body of Christ be doing? What should our response be to living in a fallen world? Well, we have we have some pretty good biblical examples. One of the main verses that gets thrown around on Gab 
is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, I will hear their their cries and answer them. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have that in front of me. And they use it as a rebuke and, and talk about the nation. It's always used in the context of someone else and not me. But my people is my individuals. That's God's individuals. I usually will ask how many of, quote unquote, my people need to humble themselves before God hears us. And really, it's all about the individual humbling himself and laying himself before God. And as each one of us humbles ourselves before God, lays down our crowns, lays down our control, lays down all of our life and turns our heart over to him. As that happens, that will have a magnifying effect because that individual will affect several individuals around And those individuals, when they respond to that call to humbling themselves before God, that will create a multiplicative effect and really start to build the kingdom. That's how you build the kingdom. You've got to build the kingdom in your own heart first. And I say you, but I mean, God's got to build the kingdom in your own heart first. And it's got to be done through your own willingness to lay it all down. I'd love that because... Really, what when I hear you say humility, I mean, what came to my mind was Nehemiah, who cried out before God when he found out what was going on in Jerusalem. And if you read his prayer, he took such a humble posture. And what he said was, the sins of me and my people. He took ownership of the sins of his nation, even though he personally had not committed those. He humbled himself before the Lord. And again, I don't know if this is the Lord just revealing this right now, but as I think that story of Nehemiah is very similar to what you're saying. You said before we build. Well, in Nehemiah's case, before he could rebuild the walls, he had to be humble first. Yes. He had to be willing to submit himself to the Lord before he could even do the Lord's work. It's a personal humbling, but then that led to a humbling of those around him and ultimately a humbling of a nation. Absolutely. And when I think of humility, Christian humility, saved believer in Christ humility, I think of my humility in Christ is believing who he says I am, despite the world telling me who I am, despite my thoughts telling me who I am, despite my flesh trying to dictate who I am. You know, it's it's interesting you say that, Phil, because that can be both a positive view or a negative view. I could choose to believe a very negative view of who I am because my flesh may be just tearing me a new one. Mm-hmm. And so we often think of humbling being being the approach that I'm less than what I think I am. But sometimes it's it's recognizing that we are more than what we think we are because we are children of the living God. Yes. He, he didn't come and get whipped, flayed. Jesus didn't go to the cross to save a bunch of people who would believe they were worms afterwards. And I think the act of humbling ourselves before God, and initially it is laying out everything you've done before him. That's the repentance. That's the turning to him. But then there comes a time when his spirit indwells you. And, you know, so I had a, had a couple of verses. So I, I, I want to go through these real quick because I think they, they're they're speaking to what we're uh, talking about. I was in a Bible study the other day, and this guy just uh, highlighted the end of John 2. 
And I'll read John 2, 23 through the end and out of the Passion Translation. And it says, while Jesus was at the Passover feast, the number of his followers began to grow and many gave their allegiance to him because of all the miraculous signs they had seen him doing. But Jesus did not yet entrust himself to them because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. He needed no one to tell him about human nature, for he fully understand, understood what man was capable of doing. So there are a lot of people that call themselves, who call themselves his followers. But Jesus will not entrust himself to those who will not lay down their human nature, will not come into alignment with the Sermon on the Mount will not just absolutely destroy every fiber of their carnal reactions, their carnal desires. All of that has to be given to him. And we have to say, Jesus, I do not want this human nature. I want your nature. Because he will not entrust himself to us until we do that. And how do we know if we've done that? Well, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we will notice that our our words change. We will be speaking life and blessing instead of death and cursing. But we'll also see the exhibition of, of fruit of the Spirit in our actions. So believers have to want their heart changed. And on Gab, you see all sorts of people call them a bunch of kittens swiping at a puffball that the devil is dangling before them. They want to react to every single thing that's going on out there. And they react out of their flesh. So, Phil, I'm taking notes. This is gold. This is really good stuff. And what I'm hearing you say is humility is number one. We must humble ourselves. That humility leads to repentance. And repentance leads to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the notes I'm writing down as you're just sharing your story. When we come back from break, I want to hear what you're actually seeing. So I, I'm hearing your heart of this is what you think is how we have kingdom impact. But I want to hear what you're actually seeing in the social media world, what you're actually seeing in Gab. So we'll tackle that when we return. You're listening to The Grid, a podcast production of the Kingdom Patriot Group. You can find us on the web at kingdompatriot.us. Join us in the fight for faith and freedom. Mondays on your favorite podcast platform. Okay, Phil, we're back. So now the big question that I've wanted to get to, you've kind of lined these things out of really what I would call a posture. This is how we have to approach, boldly approach, but approach the throne of grace. It's this idea of humility and of repentance and surrender. But yet you see more than 228,000 believers in one place assembling on social media and Gab. Tell the audience what you actually see as the moderator. Well, I see a lot of folks that know of Jesus. I see a lot of folks that want to be a Christian, but I also see a lot of folks that still react out of a carnality that is not becoming of Christ. It does not expose fruit of the Spirit. It exposes that they're going to act just as the world acts. And it's hard to watch, really, because I don't question that these folks have put their lives or have desired to put their lives in Christ's hands. But I see them reacting like kittens, 
swiping at puffballs that the that the devil dangles over them with a pole and string. And it doesn't become them at all. Christ slept in the front of the boat while the storm raged. Peter was able to walk on the water while he looked at Christ, regardless of the storm. We are to have peace that passeth understanding. And there's a lot of evil and atrocious things that go on in this world. And some of it can really shock you. But if you think God is shocked by this, do you think Jesus is shocked by this? As a matter of fact, how much commentary did Jesus actually make on the comings and goings of the Roman Empire and the politics of the Roman Empire? Shockingly little. It's funny you say that because my wife was literally saying that this morning. She was saying, really, how much did Jesus really talk about all the dark evil in the world during his time? The really only thing you ever heard him talk about mostly was the hypocrisy about the church, about uh, you know Israel. Not much about all the the pagan things going on. Absolutely, just interesting. A- absolutely, I mean, he had very little to say, and that does not mean that we should take ourselves out of politics. I'm not. I'm not making that suggestion. I'm not making a suggestion that our voice should not be heard in politics. I am saying we should be bringing the voice of the Holy Spirit to it. Absolutely. And the Holy Spirit is where real changing power comes from. It does not come from us getting mad at, well, let's just take the trans movement. People that have been abused all their lives, most likely. Mentally ill people that have been convinced that castrating themselves is is the best way to move forward. Is that a person that even regardless of how in your face they are about that, they have been programmed to be that way by one, someone, two, the world, three, the powers and principalities of the air. You know, Phil, I actually heard my pastor say one time, why are we shocked when unbelievers act like unbelievers? And I, I think there's truth to that because we do get angry sometimes because, we, you know, sometimes it's a righteous anger, but are we really seeing people through Jesus's eyes? And I think of, it was about a year ago, I went to a men's conference and one of the folks there was talking about uh, support and challenge or love and challenge. And it was this idea of how Jesus was able to speak truth, but he also spoke it in love. And what I see in our church today, what I see in the body today, is really the the pendulum either on one side or the other. It's that people bludgeon unbelievers with the truth, or they preach love and acceptance and don't share the truth at all. But the balance of that is so difficult. And at this men's conference, one of the passages of scripture they shared was regarding the the woman who was brought brought before Jesus, who had been caught in adultery. And and Jesus said, well, you know, if you're without sin, let you cast the, cast the first stone. No one did. And And Jesus said, you know, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they've all fled. And he said, well, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And it was this support and challenge, this love and challenge. He said, look, I get it. I understand where you've come from. That's not an excuse to keep doing it. But I love you and I have grace and mercy for you. I'm also challenging you. You need to stop. I feel like that's where Christians really struggle is to speak truth in love. We speak truth, no love, or we speak love and no truth. And either one of those is missing, I think the essence of the gospel, essence of holiness. And it sounds like what you're kind of describing a little bit on Gab is there's a lot of that truth with maybe forgetting the the grace and mercy part. 
So that is exactly what my pastor had been talking about, about truth and love. Basically, we're the train going down the track and you have love and you have truth. And if you only have one track of truth or one track of love, you're having a big train wreck. And that's exactly where I think, uh, you know, we need to focus on as a Christian community of not, you know, being balanced. I wanted to challenge that just a bit. You know, we think speaking truth is is speaking the reality of what we see going on. But the truth is actually God's truth. Jesus saved his righteous anger for those who were acting in his name in a manner not worthy of him. The truth that people speak is you're evil, you're doing evil, which is perfectly obvious. If we think these people are unaware of their own wretchedness deep down in their soul, we're wrong. I've been in the mire of wretchedness myself. And all that does is is create bitterness and hatred and anger and envy and praise Jesus for releasing me and lifting me up out of my clay. But we want to say some truth that is angry against this person. But the truth is Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. And he wants to see them set free. He opened the book, opened the scroll and said, I've come to set the captives free, to loose the chains. That is the truth. And that needs to be spoken in love to people. I actually think we're saying the same thing. You just did it in a more articulate manner than I did. That's exactly what I'm talking about, is that we want to call out the sin before bringing healing and before bringing grace and bringing mercy. And Jesus did come to set the captives free, and we have to share that good news. What we can't do is ignore what humility and repentance looks like in the name of not wanting you know, to hurt someone's feelings. I, I think the heart behind it is to me where I really struggle. I shouldn't say necessarily I struggle to do it. I mean, I do sometimes, but that's, that's where I see Christians struggle. That's where I see the church struggle is that when we want to preach the truth of the gospel, not necessarily related to individual redemption, but more of what is right and what's wrong. And it's just used as a sledgehammer. Yes. I'm like, I, I don't, I, I, how is that? How in the world does that advance the gospel? It doesn't. So, you know, God's just worked Hebrews 4.12 into my heart and mind. When you go through this humility process, Hebrews 4.12 is how it works. Well, let me read 11 to uh, 12. So I'm reading from the Good News Translation. Let us then do our best to receive that rest so that no one of us will fail as they did back because of their lack of faith. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts all the way through to where soul and spirit meet, to where joints and marrow come together. It judges the desires and thoughts of the heart. So when we bring God's word in front of him and we come in a manner of humility and say, God, I need to know you and know your nature. And I don't want any part of me that uh, I've created. I want to be the, the me that you've created. Then his word will come and in reading it and in spending time with him, his word will come. It's alive and active. And when it says cuts all the way to where the soul and spirit meet, it will act as a divider and it will tell you when what you're doing is soulish or a natural man and when what you're doing is spiritual. You will become more and more aware of that as God divides those two. And where joints and marrow 
that is your actions versus your essence. And when your actions start aligning with your essence that God has put in you, then you will start to see your actions be That's good. holy, be spiritual. And then the desires and the thoughts of the heart, I am constantly saying, Lord, make my motivations yours. So where I see this lack of humility and what I would say is this aggressive bludgeon sledgehammer with the truth is in the carnal definition of Christian nationalism. That's not what I believe Christian nationalism is, but that's certainly how the unbelieving community interprets Christian nationalism. So Clay, you come across somebody who you know is a believer, but they're communicating to people in just an angry, carnal response. How do you help shepherd that person away from that, away from a, a sinful flesh response to a spirit Christ-like response? Well, I mean, if I came up across it right then and there, you know, I think you need to go ahead and confront that and show grace and mercy to that person. The other Christian is confronting negatively. Um, you go ahead and show the grace of God right then and there to that person, but also share the truth. A lot of times we don't want to hear truth, right? But we need to be graceful and truthful. And so you might not say, like, he didn't say that, right? That's not really what you need to defend Christ, basically. And then also defend that person, but don't excuse that scenario. I mean, if, if that actually I had an example of this years ago, when I was in college, somebody was talking about drinking. And one Christian was saying how evil drinking is and how like, you should basically just on and on and on about it, just drilling this guy in the ground. And I don't even think the guy was a Christian. But uh, anyway, so I basically, you know, kind of said, well, you know, didn't necessarily say that you didn't have, you couldn't drink at all. So, but anyway, you, you, you confront the situation and then you show grace to that person in love. And that's how Jesus approached it. As we were talking about the, the lady brought before him that was caught in adultery. He always confronted those who claimed to speak for him. And he always comforted those who were at the other end of that. Even his angry words, his righteously angry words to the Pharisees uh, on several occasions. It, it, it wasn't just the Pharisees that were around him. It was the people that were had been subject to the Pharisees. And so what came across as angry and mean to the Pharisees was actually a message of love to those around him or around them that had been subject to their conniving ways for so long. Clay gave a good example. You know, if you're talking to somebody in the moment and you can, you know, mercifully and gracefully challenge them if they're not behaving in a Christ-like manner. You obviously, Phil, have seen this a lot in Gab, just, just in sharing your you're an administrator, right? So as you see all of this happen, it's not your role to correct that speech. It is a free speech platform. The platform itself is free speech. The group that I administer has guidelines and rules. Oh, okay. And people have to adhere to that. I, I can't have a Christianity group if everything goes. I don't allow racial or ethnic hatred in, in the group. I try to keep it as Christ-centered as possible. I generally remove any political posts because my heart for the group is actually the believers in Christ communicating together like a body. Mm. 
you know, and we're all over the place, you know, all over the world. And having a network, a neural pathway that Gab is that the believers can build other parts of the body. That's my goal with the group. It doesn't always comport with that. But yeah, so I, I, as far as free speech, yes, your timeline is your free speech. The, the group, you know, the First Amendment is both uh, freedom of speech and freedom of association. And so if you choose to associate in the Christianity group, we have the guidelines by which that association is held together. Clay, were you about to say something? Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in those last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, his son, he made the universe. Well, who is the son? The son is the word of God made flesh. And through him also he made the universe. So is the word of God being our universe? Are we being deep in the universe of the spirit of God? You know, are we walking in? So what I pray a lot is like, God, give me wisdom to hear your, your word and boldness and courage to act on that word. And so that also brings in a question, righteousness. Like, I think that's one thing Phil is talking around about righteousness. Righteousness is faith in action. So Abraham was credited righteousness because he had not seen what the thing to come, but he believed to see it. And he took steps. He believed. He kept trusting. Anyway, I just feel like that's what we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, is the word of God our universe? And I would say a huge portion of Christian kingdom cannot say that. And the other part I would just add quickly is that, you know, we're all talking about Christianity in a faithless world. And Phil talked about this. We have to see who we are in Christ and who we are in Christ. Are we a slave? You know, God tries to give us all these descriptions of of things so that we we little humans can understand it. And he actually, God talks to talks to us about all these different levels of relationship with him. We're a slave, we're a servant, we're a friend, but we're he wants us to be his spouse. And that's the ultimate relationship. And that's what we should all be gearing towards is to be united with him as a bride and bridegroom. And guess what that means? We are part of his airship, his kingdom, and that gives us authority and power. And we should be walking in that. And if you don't think that Jesus would rip a new one to somebody because they said this thing or that thing, then we we shouldn't be doing that. You know, we should have the little ringing ear and uh, sound in our ear, just like our spouse or husband does, like when we're doing stuff, you know, away from them and we're at the store and we're thinking, oh, well, she's really going to want this thing. <laughs> I know, I know her enough, you know, so we should be doing the same thing with God. I know him enough that he's going to want me to just to hug this person and not condemn them. So I feel like that's kind of where we're getting at. And that's kind of what I just had on my, in my spirit at that, at this time. You know, this is going to sound almost a little, little trite, so to speak, but I, what I hear you saying when I simplify it is if we are preaching Christ, then we must walk as Christ. 
And anything different than that, if we're preaching Christ but walking in the flesh, are we not, in many ways, like we talked about last week, walking in some level of hypocrisy? And if we want to preach the gospel to the world, we don't do it by our words alone. We do it in how we act and how we respond by displaying the heart of Christ, not the heart of man. So as we kind of move to land the plane today, Phil, I really appreciate you joining us today. I wanted to have you just comment on any closing thoughts that you might have. Well, I want to, I want to thank you guys for inviting me on for a conversation. Clay reminded me of, of, of a post I wrote a month or so back. And it's real short. It was, I, I wrote the invitation. God's revealed word, the Bible, was an invitation to humanity. But to what? It seems to me the invitation is received in one of two main ways. One, a life lived building a relationship with the inviter. Or two, a life lived striving to understand the invitation. I know which one I choose. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it is. So I would encourage folks, Christians, yes, read the Bible, but don't read it with your mind. Read it with your heart. Let Christ implant his word in your heart. That's where his word becomes alive and active and can change the world around you. That is well said. Clay, closing thoughts? I think Phil is right on what he's saying. Really seek to be a bride and bridegroom with Christ. That's the ultimate relationship God wants with us. And we need to seek that. And it didn't say like people that have been married 25 years or 30 years. It says be a bride and bridegroom. So be passionate. Involved. You just can't wait until you spend time or hear from them or go out with them. That's the way we need to be with God. If you're not there, that's okay. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm not there. Create in me a new heart, God, and renew your spirit in me. That's what we need to pray. We need to pray for change in our lives. Recognize where we're at and pray for the heart change that we need with God. Well said. Thank you, Clay. Phil, it was so good to have you on today. We really appreciate you joining the grid. I appreciate you guys inviting me. Thank you again. I look forward to the next one that we do together. Clay, thanks again for being with us today. Until next time. Don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued. Your voice is needed. Mm -hmm.